Welcome to Imagine This Podcast. A conversation show where we talk to Milwaukee's arts, cultural, and creative leaders to highlight all the incredible transformative work in our region. We hope that after listening to the pod, you will see our region and all the awesome artists, arts organizations, and creative assets in Milwaukee in a new way. I'm David Lee. And I'm Lindsay Sheridan. Welcome, everybody, to Imagine This Podcast. We are, uh, we are in a unique time with Mac being gone, as, as everybody uh, has heard last week. And also, Lindsay is on a Memorial Day break. But we are so excited to welcome producer Elizabeth. Hello, Elizabeth. How are you? Hey, David. I'm doing great. How are you this morning? I'm doing. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, uh, producer Elizabeth is is uh, joining us as a guest host on this podcast, and um, as I understand, uh, is beginning the audition run to be the third co-host to replace <laughs> Mac. You have you have a big Mac shaped outline to fill on this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, th- they are some big shoes. They are certainly some big shoes. So we are so glad that Elizabeth has joined us to to co-host uh, this pod episode with Sarah Gale Luther. Um, Elizabeth, you and Sarah are friends, as, as I understand it. Yeah, she was one of the first uh, good friends that I made in Milwaukee. How'd you guys meet? We met through my partner. Um, I saw a drawing show of Sarah's works in which she had done a portrait of Neil. And um, I met her at that same art event. Oh, how fun. Is is that weird to have to have Sarah draw Neil? Was that was that a weird thing? (laughs) No, and it's it's (laughs) happened a number of times. Um, If you're friends, if you're friends with Sarah Gale Luther, you will be drawn. And maybe your dog, as we've learned. And and probably your dog as well. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. So you know, as 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 Sarah is a teacher uh, and and a and a public artist, uh, one of the things that we thought about uh, chatting a little bit about, sort of before we 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 get into the conversation with her, um, is um, great teachers in our lives, right? Inspiring teachers who who've helped us sort of see the world or see ourselves differently. Um, what's uh who who's been a a great teacher? or a great arts teacher that really made an impression on you, Elizabeth? The first person who comes to mind was my theater teacher, John Fredrickson, in my high school's performing arts curriculum experience, otherwise known as PACE. Uh, This group, PACE, was sort of a self-described cult of (laughs) zany creative kids who studied music, dance, and theater. Uh, Mr. Fred, as we called him, was our ringleader and our drama teacher. And he was a tough love kind of teacher with a giddy streak of wit and sarcasm. Um, But most of all, he cared really deeply about the theater and his students, and he demanded excellence from us. Um, Mm. Despite his gravitas as a teacher, he also modeled a sort of reverence for having fun. I still remember and call upon some of his pithy catchphrases, including, if you're doing nothing, you're doing nothing. And uh, famously, latecomers are the scum of the earth. Um, So he taught us the basics of theater and stagecraft, but he also taught me about working and moving with intention. And notably, he took a chance on me as a 14-year-old freshman 
and cast me in a pivotal role in Thornton Wilder's The Long Christmas Dinner, which honestly set me down a path of throwing myself headlong into the theater for the next four years. Um, I found theater, much like film, is a confluence or perhaps a buffet of different <laughs> art forms. Um, all of which spoke to me, you know, theater draws on literature, music, movement, uh, set painting. So there was so much artistry for me to enjoy and give myself over to in the theater. And for many people and for me, high school was a pretty tough experience. So in any case, uh, selecting me for that play, Mr. Fred saw me as I wanted to see myself. Mm. And my experience in pace ended up being pivotal to my social and creative development. Wow. I'm I'm struck sort of listening to your story about Thornton Wilder. I, I love Thornton Wilder. He plays such a central role, I think, in, in most people's sort of theatrical experience, mostly our town, right? Yes. But like but but like the 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 his body of work is so is so wide and I think in some ways kind of um seminal, right, obviously to American theater, but but also to every to I mean he was Thornton Wilder played a, a huge role in my growing up, right? I was, mm. I played George Antrobus in The Skin of Our Teeth, mm. which I didn't fully understand when I was a kid, and I probably <laughs> still don't fully understand now, but, you know, it's it, he is just such a, such a giant. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a fun question. What's your favorite Thornton Wilder play? I saw a recent... Uh, production of the Pullman Car Hiawatha, which is yes, yeah, <laughs> you're you're like the only person who's like who who responds to that in in a way. That's oh my positive. gosh, yeah. Oh my gosh, I um, love that play. That's my answer too. Oh wow, actually. how fun! Yeah, yeah. Um, it, there's just something about like the way he's able to capture, um, and, and this comes up in the conversation with uh, with Sarah, right? Like the mundane in sort of a magical fantastical way um mm -hmm. that you know i i think is uh is 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 just incredible yeah naturalistic it, it and checks... also magical i'm sorry go ahead yes no no it, it also checks the metaverse box right you, correct which we know you love <laughs> that's we know right you love that. that's right it, it, it's also very in vogue right now right that's right <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so coming back to that point that you were just making though um that is something that i think the best teachers and the best artists are really incredible at is, is, you know, holding up a mirror to ourselves and, and helping us to get in touch with our own values and perhaps see the value in um, the everyday experiences that we have and see the profundity in those everyday experiences. So I know Sarah Luther is an expert um, person at, at, at weaving those experiences yeah. for others through her you know, static artworks, her drawings, um, but also through the experiences that she collaborates on and yeah. uh, creates. Did, did you have a sense that, just sort of going back to Mr. Fred, did, did you have a sense that Mr. Fred sort of knew something about you that you didn't know when he cast you in, in The Long Christmas Dinner? Wow, interesting question. Um, you know, it just, struck me like a bolt of lightning that um you know this this person who was so respected would trust me to step into that role mm. and um i think that was really confidence instilling for me mm. yeah and you know i think for me i i um i attended a, a conservative conservatory style theater program for high school it was sort of by accident right like i wasn't really an artsy kid 
Um, but it was due to the the vagaries of how you select high school in San Francisco that like my parents didn't want me to go to our district high school. And so I found myself auditioning for the theater program at, at School of the Arts. And mm. I'd never acted before, um, but I got in. And here I was wow. in a in a in a program with all these kids that had you know these incredible uh, credits and um, and and a background in acting and everything else. And then there was me, mm -hmm. right? And um, Philip Rayher was the theater department director and the teacher of the program. And you know, I, I asked about Mr. Fred for you because I I think. I think Mr. Rayher knew that I wasn't supposed to be there um, and that I was a little bit out of my league, but he never made me feel out of place. You know, mm -hmm. um, he never sort of like let me know or, or let me feel that I wasn't good enough, nor mm -hmm. did he change the program or its standards to make it easier for me, right? I had to do Shakespeare, mm -hmm. I had to do Stanislavski, I had to do Meisner, I had to do clown technique, which you, I think mm -hmm. you know me well enough now that that doesn't feel great for me, you know, just in general. <laughs> um, and, and I had to, you know, the scariest thing I, I remember doing in that program was I had to do like a, like a monologue workshop with Gene Hackman, mm. which was oh my gosh. just terrifying, right? Like, and wow. um, I, I don't remember any of the notes that he gave me. I should have like blacked out. I remembered my lines <laughs> and just got through it. Um, and I think, you know, I think that that's sort of emblematic of like the, some of the lessons that, that I still hold um mm. that that were imparted up upon me by by Mr. Rayher and, and more more or less by the program, right? Which I, mm -hmm. I I think really changed my life. Um is this idea that like ninety percent of your work is knowing your lines and motivation and the rest is just mm. hitting your marks, right? Like all of the mm. the the kind of like um other stuff is just other stuff is like sort of the, the condiments, right? But you have to be able to like <laughs> do the, the the core of just like knowing your lines, knowing why you're saying them and just being in the right place at the right time. Mm. Um, and, yes. And the second thing that, that has always stuck with me is that if you want to succeed, don't have a backup plan because no mm. matter what you do, and particularly in the theater, right? Things will get really, really hard. And mm -hmm. you have a back, if you have a backup plan, that'll always be easier. And so you'll never mm -hmm. follow the dream all the way through, right? And and I know for me, um, you know, having lived in, having tried to do, you know, theater and film in New York and LA, like that got, it got really hard. And, you know, mm -hmm. I was good enough at having a backup plan that I just did that, you know? Mm-hmm. Exit stage left. That's right. That's right. That's right. You know, know when you're not, know when you're not needed, right? Like you don't oh. do other things. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that's really interesting, though, David, and, and I love that you touched on the feeling of being in the right place at the right time. I think that's, that's kind of the magic of art experiences. Yeah. And that's also something that um, educators or people who are facilitators or conveners of groups of people um, can really instill in a group of people. And that that is something that is very generative, It's something that can can build, can be built on. Yeah. So as, as Sarah's friend, why don't you let us know a little bit about her and then we'll, we'll get her, we'll get her in, we'll get her in the room. Sarah Gale Luther is a Milwaukee based artist who explores and documents the familiar, the average or the forgotten. The results of these inquiries manifest in drawings, performances, public events, distributable objects, or even the creation of new public spaces. Through her work, she strives to build understanding 
not necessarily to elevate a subject, but to appreciate its intricacies, humor, or humanity. Sarah received a Greater Milwaukee Foundation's Mary L. Knoll Fellowship in the Emerging Artist category in 2011. Sarah currently works at Escuela Verde's New Line Community Cafe as advisor of creative education and community experience. New Line Community Cafe is a student-run cafe and community space on 36th and Pierce Street, where she teaches art, supports the barista training program, and schedules after-school public events and programs. After the break, Sarah Luther. We are so excited to welcome to the pod, Sarah Gail Luther. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Elizabeth. How are you? Doing well. How are you this morning? I'm great. Thanks for having me here. Sarah, you have such a rich and storied history as a contributor to the arts and culture in Milwaukee, whether it's through drawing voters at the polls, families at the Silver City Festival, um, to more experiential social practice and public artwork like the Kite Flying Club, and now as an educator and programmer in the arts. But before we delve into all that goodness, we want you to tell us a story of an arts and culture experience that left a strong imprint on you. So I've thought about this. I had some time to ponder this wonderful question. And um, I feel like for each phase of my art creation, there's like there could be another story. Um, but I'm going to go all the way back to Donner's Tog, which was this like art night at Turner Hall Ballroom before it was Paps Turner Hall Ballroom. And it was, I was performing there with uh, some friends in a group called Kyoto Protocol. And I was only a senior in high school. And so it was this strange introduction and immersion into what the art world is and what it could be. And it was such a weird and amazing place to be as somebody who had only seen art through the confines of an art room in high school and been like making drawings and paintings and putting my portfolio together and thinking that I was in this place where I really knew a lot about what the potential of art was. And then walking into Turner Hall and every inch of it was covered with some crazy painting or drawing. And then there were performances happening and there was music and there was video and it was just this fully immersive experience of like all the things that art can be. And I think my mind just kind of like blew open. <laughs> it was like crushed senior in high school me and went, oh, I, you know, <laughs> I got some things to learn. So it set me up for like really entering into art school and entering into the art world with like a really new open mind, which was really cool. And fun story, Andrew had a piece that was like my, one of my favorite things there was an ant farm video that was like tucked inside of like a hole in the wall. So it was like this old TV just playing an ant farm, like as if you're wa like watching the ants build their tunnels and stuff, but it was tucked inside of a cavity in one of the walls in Turner Hall. And it was Andrew's, that was Andrew Swant's piece. And for our listeners, Andrew Swant is Sarah's <laughs> longtime partner who is also a local filmmaker. Yep, did not know him at the time, but was excited that made to make that connection later on. Well, that's, that's, that's amazing. That's one um, 
sort of answer to, to, to my follow-up, which is, it, so if that's sort of like the seminal moment, right, that sort of like marked the before and after of, of Sarah Luther, how would you describe like the morning after, right? Like you, you, you do, you, you're sort of at this thing, mind is blown, right? Everything is sort of, you sort of see this whole new world. You go home, go to sleep. You don't wake up the next day and just eat your Cheerios and, and, are, and are like, you know, everything's good, right? Like, like, like what, is, what is it like to sort of be filled with that sort of sense of, of like the world has changed? I, I mean, like the, the thought that comes to my mind is like I had like an art hangover. Like I was, oh. you know, <laughs> I was a pretty like timid, well-behaved high schooler. So I wasn't actually hungover, but I definitely woke up like, oh man, that was a night, you know, like that I had an art hangover. And I think it just made me feel like really ready. I think I was just ready to approach things in a different way or realize that there was just like a lot more that I could be doing or expressing or feeling and that there were other people that were ready to do that with me. And it just felt, felt really good. It was like, okay, I'm ready to leave all this behind and like do something different. And shortly after that, you hit Kansas City. Yeah, not, yeah, not too long after that. I think I had a summer between that experience and um, heading off to art school. Um, but it was, yeah, I was ready to go and to see different things, try different things. So I think it was probably a long time before I really let myself become more experimental um, or really open up my own practice. But um, but yeah, it definitely was a good catalyst for leaving Milwaukee and going to school. For, for, for some of the artists that we've had uh, on the show, uh, on the pod, um, you know, ranging from a, a number of different practices, one of the things that I've, I've always sort of been curious about, right, is this idea that like artists, it's sort of like that Ezra Pound quote, right? That artists are sort of the antenna of society, right? They, they, they're, they're sort of feeling all of the stuff and they're sort of, and then they, they process it and, and share with everybody else, right? The rest of the body. Um, for, I think in some ways like writers and filmmakers, it, it's a little bit more practical, right? Like you're, you're almost processing a story and showing it in, and, and sort of making that vision come to life. But for an artist like like you, it's, you know, visual and, and sort of may, maybe a little bit more experiential, or at least in, in, in sort of the, the, the story that you just shared. How does that process happen for you? Like, as you're sort of like seeing the world, how do you sort of like coalesce that into something that is an expression of whatever the thing is that you're experiencing in or around you? That's such a tough question. Um, yeah, I love no. It's it's like, it sort of gets at the core, right? Of the process. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I think. I mean. I think it's really different for me now, compared to the. You know, like I could think about myself again. Like I think about myself kind of in these phases of like learning and understanding what I'm doing with art. Yeah. You know, like and what my practice is. And I think now, I think the thing that's interesting about like taking that story and then thinking about artists being the antenna of society is like. I think I had that experience in this like immersive art world and I was like oh I want to be a part of this like I want I want to have this energy I want to be I want to be expressing this and I think I've also found myself now as an older artist or more established artist 
seeing that, like, I want to take that energy, but I want to put it into the world in different places. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily want to be taking that energy and just reflecting it back to people who have that same energy. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think I pretty quickly realized that I wanted to be more open with the context in which I share my art and which I, where I share those antennas and who I share them with and what they're feeling. Um, I think the same, the thing that kind of reflects throughout my practice is that, that idea of like being somewhere and being immersed is the thing that inspires me the most, but I just Mm. choose different environments now um, to be immersed in. And the idea of spending time somewhere or really kind of like taking in an experience and documenting withdrawing or writing or, and then like learning about it and then reflecting it back to whoever might need to see that, um, like conceptually, like where I think that those ideas should be placed. But I feel like it's not confined to the art world any, and not for a long time. And so I think that that process for me, like that, the idea, like how it, how you go from like taking in and like feeling all those things that are happening around you and processing that. Like, I think the joy for me in art is that each project, I get to process that information differently mm-hmm. based on, like, I think of myself um, at the core, like just a really conceptual artist. And so I always start with taking in and not, and trying to not like have any preconceived notions of what I'm going to make, but really just taking in an experience and then thinking about, I mean, I have my processes, like I learn through drawing, I learn through being in a place for a long period of time, but then I take those actions and those um, studies, and I think they manifest in really different ways, depending on what I find to be important about that moment or what it is Mm. that my antennas are like, I saw this and it belongs here and it needs this, you know, like it needs a performance or it needs an event or it needs a book or, you know, whatever it may be like, to share those ideas, that's always different. And I think that that's where art is really special is that I don't feel confined to always share my work in one way or what I've observed in one way. If that makes great. sense. No, that's <laughs> great. Absolutely. You're a bit of a Renaissance person. Um, Sarah, it strikes me that a sense of genuine curiosity and reverence for the mundane is really central to all of the work that you do. And I'm wondering though, in your space of curiosity and your space of sort of continuous learning, was there ever an inkling or a seed of envisioning yourself as an educator? Or when did that come into to focus for you? That's a great question. I think there's always been some part of my artwork that is about me. I mean, this is inherent in that idea of like, we are antenna and we're then reflecting back as artists. Like when you reflect something back, you have that opportunity to share. You're doing it because you want to share it with someone else and teaching and you're making art always because you want to share it with someone else and you want to share ideas about the world and have a conversation. But I think teaching is just another avenue to have that conversation. And I still like struggle about like as thinking of myself as an educator, but I do find myself in a lot of situations where I am in the context of education. And I think that that's a really interesting place to live as an artist. Yeah. And I think for me, that idea of the mundane or like 
the everyday. And I, I always struggled with that as I've always tried to write about my work or try to write about my interests. And those words always come up like simple, mundane. But it's funny because those things don't, they, I say those words, because, but the, they don't feel that way. And I think, mm. I think that if there's anything that I have to share about, you know, like about my perspective of the world is that those things are not like that we, you know, all the things that we do on a daily basis and just to kind of get by or get from point A to point B, like they're not mundane um, mm. and they're not simple. <laughs> like mm-hmm. the things that we do to be people are so complex. Um, and I think that that's like an exciting thought to share with young people or with anybody. And I think mm. a lot of my projects were always set up to give myself an experience where I get to be immersed and take in and create something. And I think as I am growing in my practice, I'm trying more and more to create experiences where other people get to, like, instead of creating an experience for myself, I'm creating a platform for somebody else to have an experience where Mm -hmm. maybe they'll see that complexity or that intrigue in really simple things or really Mm -hmm. things that we might take for granted is maybe a better way to put it. I think, and that's where it really relates to education is just, I see myself as a public artist, as somebody who creates, who kind of coordinates an experience for someone. And so I think that's a lot, that there's a lot of parallels there with education, right? Mm -hmm. You're just creating this learning experience. And I think my art is very similar to that. Also, I just want to like throw out like, like a little, um, recommendation I also one of the phases of like influence um I was working in a school and reading the book the next American Revolution by Grace Lee Boggs and it was mind-altering I mean that book is so good and it was written on her ideas about education from like the 60s and just Mm -hmm. to see how her idea of like grassroots organizing and education and the changes that need to be made in society that she's been having like putting out into the world and learning from other people since 1960 and that haven't happened yet was pretty astounding. Um, and I think really inspirational for me to stay in an educational setting and mm-hmm. still and work as an artist in educational settings. So that was, yeah, that's a really great book. You should read it. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to coordinate a thought, and so I'm going to try something, and this is it. this is going to be like sort of a, a half draft. Um, there, there's something about that that something about you just what you just shared that that really kind of landed with me in this in this way that like you, there's something so powerful about the the idea that that like artists of all sorts sort of ref, not reflect back, but sort of can capture everyday things in a way that helps you that helps our people think about it in 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 its honesty right which is and the honesty of everything is essentially that we're all connected we're all we are all doing the best we can to make it through this this thing called life right as it were um and that the 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 mundane or this or or the the everyday is 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 really the thing that binds us, right? And that's the beauty of our shared experience. And 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 yet, because of the pressures of of everyday life, 
right? The very thing that binds us is also the thing that sort of drives us apart, right? That sort of like makes us small and 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 um, worried about resources and all the things that 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 are you know um, that that can make experiencing joy and love and all those things possible. And so it's sort of a weird thing, right? Like, how do you sort of, I guess that, 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 that's sort of the, my, as I try to land this plane, this idea of coordinating experiences so people can sort of feel that and really understand that and really kind of like take that in really is the, the, the core job, right? It's, it's, it's in some ways not the thing artists make, it's the experiences that are getting curated. And I think that's, there's something that, that's so, I think it's sort of relevatory about that, right? Which is like, it's not, we, we oftentimes say this around, around our offices, right? That art isn't the thing that sort of lands at, inside the art museum, right? It is the everyday experience of whether it's a teaching experience, whether it's, it's a meeting that we run, whether it's bumping into a mural or, or, or seeing a friend at a cafe, right? Like these things are the, the things that sort of make us who we are and healthy and that, but that's a very ephemeral thing, right? Mm. It's a very ephemeral idea. David. Yeah. I love, I love that thought. And if I may, I have a question that sort of pulls a thread from there. Sarah, I wonder, how do you think cultivating artistic ways of seeing makes our community healthier? Um, what what do you mean by artistic ways of seeing? <laughs> um, I let me just think for a second because I I want to grab onto the word ephemeral, and I also loved your question about arts and culture and our neighborhoods and our communities and why that makes us healthier and and I think artistic seeing is difficult because I don't think everyone would call it that. I think I think art's often put on the edge of most people's experience or feels outside of what people are capable of. Um, and so that's, I think, why I am really attracted to these other, like I've always been interested in using other formats for expressing artistic ideas or for putting my own art into these other pockets and experimenting with different systems, like, like thinking about myself as an anthropologist rather than an artist, or thinking about myself as an educator rather than an artist, um, and kind of taking on these different roles in order to kind of further my own artistic seeing. But I think that that's maybe a more comfortable way um, for a lot of people to experience art or start to experience art um, is through these like arts integrated, like art integrated moments. Um, but I think I'm interested in creating things that are ephemeral because most of the things that bring us joy are really ephemeral. And I also maybe just have some like, uh, like a little bit of spite or like a little bit of like, mm, I don't buy it, like into like paintings and like things that last forever, like archival artworks that are made to last forever. Um, I, maybe I have nothing against them, but I also just don't have an interest in creating something like that because it, to me, it feels like that's not where the joy is. Like the joy is in creating something that happens mm. and 
is gone or like is just a memory or just is mm-hmm. like a curiosity all of a sudden or something that you connect with really quickly and then um or you know just has that spark and I feel like when you can create things more quickly and ephemerally like you maybe can capture that feeling a little bit more frequently than mm-hmm. creating this one object that lives somewhere forever and I think that that happens like I, I you know I've been to the art museum I've had that connection I've had that spark and that inspiration from a painting or from a sculpture but personally like I I don't um I just want to make something a little bit different than that but as far as like why art makes communities healthier I think when we share when we can share artwork with other people or like the like art strategies with other people like artistic thinking and artistic processes I think it's um it's a place where failure can exist without being a negative thing and Mm. I think that that's a like a really that doesn't happen like failure is such a scary thing for so many people and doing something wrong is such a scary thing for so many people and to break the habit of thinking of that as a negative and put it into a positive context I think art can kind of start help helping people art can help people Mm. change the context of the word failure um because it's so much about process and it's so much about experimentation and expression and Mm -hmm. connection and and you have to you have to like kind of um, surrender yourself to that process a little bit. Um, so I think it's just a different way of learning. It's a different tool. It's a different vehicle than most processes that we engage with. Um, and I, but I also see like a lot of benefit in just the meditative and the peacefulness of creating art um, or of just being and drawing. It's like, it's like doing yoga or Tai Chi it's, uh, but with your hands, you know, or (laughs) eyes. So it it just is this moment of rest that I think a lot of people are lacking Mm -hmm. in their just day-to-day lives. So I think that there's a real reason that we all are drawn to like make a drawing or make a painting in these comfortable contexts, right? Like where you're introduced, like you're invited to paint a mural, like part of a mural, or you're going to have wine and make a painting with friends it's like there's something so meditative about that process um and so like relaxing about that process that that also I think lets people in in an interesting way um yeah I just think that there's a lot more room for art and there's a lot more room for um artistic seeing and thinking and I don't know (laughs) art's (laughs) undervalued still like it's come a long way, but so diving in on that just a little bit, right? Like I, I think we we've experienced this here at Imagine, where where we when we talk about art, people think immediately about you know the the stuff in the art museum, right? Like they and they and it seems so inaccessible to them that they're just like that is for people to go engage with at the lake and not something to to do that has nothing to do with me, right? Day to day life. But what I'm hearing you say, right, is that like art is sort of a part of all of our lives all the time. And, and, and if we are able to engage with it in the ways we see, think and practice, whatever it is, it, it is uh, something that can increase not only community health, but personal health and community connection, and all that stuff. Right. 
how do we bridge that gap? <laughs> like, how, how does that, how does, as somebody who, who obviously works in, 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 in a community as an artist, as a teacher, as, as a you know, sort of a community connector, right, in some ways, how do we bridge that gap in a way that, that can make, you know, my next door neighbor who's older and kind of just like, you know, I'm, I'm just a guy, right? Like, how, how do we make him sort of see that, that he can also have a, an artistic sensibility? That's such a great question because it's like something I ponder a lot and something that I think gets me down a lot, but, mm. um, or not really, but it is just a difficult, that's a difficult thing. And I think I have a couple like devil's advocate questions that pop out of my head when I hear that is like, do we need to like, um, and also like, why do we need to call it art? And oh, I guess in my mind, it's like, the experience that I'm thinking of that maybe relates to this question is working with high schoolers uh, and at, I was, I don't even remember what the project was, but basically I was trying to frame some of their daily actions and get them to think about how they're culture producers. And so, mm. and think about like everything that they say, everything that they do, everything that they wear, everything, like every friendship that they build, like all of these things that we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis shape our culture and shape the way that we understand the world. And I think maybe it's not so much about getting everybody on board to appreciate art or to go to the lakefront and like see the art museum. Like maybe it's not that um, linear, but it's more just getting everyone to appreciate um, the fact that they're a culture producer or that their actions and their ideas have influence um, mm -hmm. and that and that they are also being constantly influenced by the people around them and mm -hmm. and design and architecture and planning and all of these things that have been created by someone else mm -hmm. um, and that like those systems affect everything that they do um, and that that's all part of this like of many cultures, like this great overlap of many different cultures. Um, and something that I've been thinking about a lot this week in my, um, in my, at my work is how do you get people to understand that their like perspective is not the only perspective. Mm. Um, and I think, I do think that something that the practice of art teaches you is that you, it, it makes you aware of your own perspective and your own way of interpreting the world, which when you become so aware of that action, I think it makes you more empathetic and understanding that everyone else is having that same experience and so differently than you. Um, and so I think art can, like art thinking can let you in to being a more empathetic person and being more responsive and curious about where other people are coming from, which then I think we can just think about art as a way of just like understanding each other as humans, um, rather than necessarily like a production mm -hmm. or something that we're, um, yeah, something that we're producing or we're creating or we're making. It's not so much about making anymore. It's just about the thinking and the process. 
So it's more of a practice than a, a production. Practice. Yeah, that's what's great about <laughs> art. Like that's where I want to live as an artist is just like in practices, um, which I think, again, like relates back to that idea of like, like failure and process mm. and experimentation. Um, yeah, I, which is making me, this is making me feel good because I often don't produce a lot, you know, like I, in my work right now, I'm producing all the time and I'm making stuff inventing all the time, inventing all the time. Um, but I, I don't often like produce a lot of drawings or produce mm. a lot of performances. Um, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot to show necessarily for mm -hmm. my work, but but even just talking, I'm like, oh yeah, th these are things that I believe in. <laughs> like, no wonder I'm not always producing something. <laughs> it's easy to be hard on yourself. <laughs> so. Totally. But Sarah, you, you did have a traditional art school background. You went mm -hmm. to Kansas City Art Institute, right? Yes. Yes, I did. And then, and then after that experience, you chose to come back to the particular cultural tangle that is Milwaukee. <laughs> can you um, can you talk about that choice and yeah. about um, about you know your trajectory since art school? Mm -hmm. Yep, my cultural tangle. <laughs> um, <laughs> good word. Um, so let's see. I chose to come back. So I was I. Yeah, I just knew I knew Milwaukee had from visiting in like on breaks in college I knew Milwaukee had a really unique art scene um I had been to Darling Hall and seen all the weird performances and wonderful performances happening by the women there and um and I was friends with John Riepenhoff and would often attend Green Gallery things when it was on Center Street still and um I just knew that there was this kind of underground or grassroots art scene that felt really accessible and really fun and that I felt like I would fit into um, and also maybe could have a space within. And so I moved back to Milwaukee, um, which, you know, also to be close to my family and um, be back in the city that I really was curious about, but grew up just outside of. And so I didn't really know. Um, so I felt like there was a lot for me here to explore and understand. And so I moved back and I was actually living in a little tiny room in the back of the green gallery in that warehouse on center street for a while, which was really cool to have this, um, pretty unique space where I could make art. And then also to be like really connected to avenues of like showing art. So I had some performances there and had a show there that summer that I moved back and then was pretty quickly introduced to Peggy Christensen, who at the time was running Insight. Um, and so when I left school, I was focused, I really had a strong focus on like sculptural and performative work. Um, but I had always kind of had these like, it was almost like, um, like I was moonlighting as a public artist in college. So I was in, I got my degree in painting and I felt like I was always making work that was never, I never painted, um, but I was always making work that I could call painterly um, through doing these like sculptural, like fabric sculptures or um, performative sculptural events, like th installations, you know? So I was always doing something that was parallel to painting, but then after, you know, like studio hours and after, you know, I was done with my work there, I would go and I would like rake leaves and I would make these like big patterns in different parks, or I would 
I had like a picnic on a, um, in a median in a parking lot. And, you know, so I was always doing these like other weird performative actions that um, existed in public space that always felt kind of like, ooh, now that art school's done, I'm gonna go run around and <laughs> have this weird <laughs> public interaction. So, and it was part of what I like was doing in school, but it was pretty funny that it, it existed outside of kind of what I was showing my teachers. Um, that's funny that you had to leave the confines of high school to feel like free to be an artist. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty funny. No, I, I mean, I, I think they knew about it and I would talk about it. Um, and like, sometimes it was for a, you know, for a grade or like for part of a project, but often it just would happen kind of on the side. Um, and so when I moved back to Milwaukee, like I kind of started in the same realm where I was like, I was making drawings, I was making sculptures, I was thinking of performances. And, and then I met Peggy and Peggy ran this um, group of, you know, she ran, she was a public arts administrator. And so she administered public art projects, which was kind of this thing that I had no idea could ever exist um, and really doesn't like there's, there's no public art administrators, like that's not a thing. So, I mean, maybe it's becoming more of a thing now, um, but for her to be this like incredible, like diamond in the rough of like a conceptual, like somebody who was a champion of conceptual public artists and site-specific public artists in that moment was like just what I needed. And so I teamed up with her and for a few years created um, installations and public art pieces um, in a few different areas around Milwaukee. And so that was, um, that really kind of was a catalyst to get myself really grounded in the practice of public art. And also um, to just really learn a lot. I think a lot of my education in making art came from being like having to go to public meetings and try to um, advocate for the work that I was making and really hear from real people what they thought about art. and people who, you know, and to hear what people wanted or didn't want, or, um, you know, how they experienced something or how they experienced a young white girl coming into a different neighborhood and trying to say something about where they live, you know, like where, you know, wherever I was, whoever was, you know, this young person trying to be like, oh, I'm, I'm gonna express this thing about this neighborhood. And I was probably really off base. You know, I, I think I mm. often was probably super out of touch. Um, and so I think that was a lesson that I really needed to learn too through doing public art was that, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think a lot of the things that were taught in art school or the, the instincts that we have as artists is just go like, I like my vision is what I'm gonna express. You know, like it's those antennas, mm. like we are antennas and we are taking in our surroundings and we do have thoughts and feelings, but the things that our experience of it is not the only one. And so I think it was a real education to work as a public artist in Milwaukee where things are so segregated, so divided, mm. um, so much tension. Um, and to be a white woman often working in black neighborhoods really taught me very quickly that I needed to start listening and I needed to um, stop thinking of myself as this like person who could just put things out into the world as however I see them and however I want them to manifest and that it had to be a more um a, like a much more delicate and um mm -hmm. fluid process um so that was amazing that that's been 
I think probably the biggest education that I've had is Mm. just like learning about my own process through the challenges of creating art in public spaces. So Mm -hmm. Sarah, can you, as a follow-up to that, can you speak a little bit to your relationship to Silver City? It's been your home within Milwaukee for a number of years now. And, you know, I know you've done a number of public art projects there specifically and gotten really involved in the community um, like at an organizational level. So can you speak a little bit to that relationship? Yeah. Um, so let's think. I, um, so my relationship with Silver City started when I moved to the neighborhood to run a public space called The Amplifier in 2011. Um, I lived there for about six months and ran the storefront um, on 35th and National for about three months. And it was part of a Zilber Foundation um, grant that um, at the time LBWN, Leighton Boulevard West Neighborhood um, Neighbors, Neighborhood, I don't know, (laughs) Leighton Boulevard West Neighbors. I can't remember. They changed their name to VIA and now it's just VIA. So they had gotten this grant to create a five-year plan um, and quality of life plan for their neighborhood. They'd gotten a grant to create a quality of life plan for their neighborhood. And part of that was getting public input. And they had the idea of creating some sort of public art piece that would help gather public input or um, help bring public together. And so I created this temporary public art space where um, I would invite people in and we would do classes, we would do workshops and um, or just have like gatherings. And then I would draw people and write down what they were thinking and ask them questions. And um, and then I would also post things in the windows of like, you know, questions about what they liked about pe- what people liked about their neighborhood. Um, so I had this kind of like litany of um, ways that I would hopefully gather input from people by having this um, this little storefront space. So the amplifier was open for three months. I gathered a lot of public input that was used for the Zilber plan. Um, and this was part of other public input sessions and meetings. And then eventually I moved away from Silver City. And when I found myself wanting to like in a position to be able to buy a house, I, um, found my way back to Silver City and, because of that experience, I had had I felt like I had a lot of information and a lot of knowledge and a lot of love for that neighborhood, um, and already felt really connected and knew that there was a neighborhood like organization that also really deeply cared about the people of that neighborhood and the development of that neighborhood and wanted to develop it in a way that was genuine to the people who already were living there, which I really respected. And so I felt like it was a great place to kind of put down some roots. And I think also, you know, when you're working as a public artist and you're like investigating community and um, and groups of people, you want that for yourself. Like I've always wanted that for myself. I've always wanted to be a neighbor. I feel like I just, I think one of the things that I maybe, um, what, you know, like when you like, like, oh, like the unattainable, like the, um, like the golden, light at the you know the thing that you can't you it's just out of reach is like the idea of being like it like a civil servant or like um a neighbor is like maybe one of the highest titles that I could mm. obtain 
Um, and so it was exciting to think about owning a home in a place that I already had this relationship with and where I could build deeper relationships. And I think that always with my art, I've tried to find ways where it really overlaps with my life. And I think um, becoming a neighbor is kind of one of those things for me where it's like, there's not, it, there's some really blurry lines between like being a performance artist and being a neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, or like being like a person in a civil space or like this community space. And so, I mean, it, it's been interesting because I think it's been some of my toughest some of my toughest work and also some of the most real, they're just really my experiences, but I also do think of them as art in a way, or like they're some of the blurriest, most strange gray areas to me is just being a person who lives in a place and is responsible to that place and to the people around me. That's a lot. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, no, that, 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 that's great. And, and like, you know, like, I, I'm, crazy. I, I'm really, it, I, I had this sort of like flash in my head earlier, Sarah, and I was gonna just like let it go. But now that you sort of like, you sort of edged back into the, 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 the blurriness, I am going to, I'm going to share this idea that like, in some ways, like, doing good for your neighbor can somehow be and I'm going to say performative, but and I don't mean it that way, right. But like you're performing right. a public service that is showing care for your neighbor. And if you're an artist, right, that like, I think there, there's a story about like how we ought to be doing more of that, right. And so if we had a cadre of artists who were interested in that, and they were just out doing good things, right, like the, the my, my flash in my head earlier was like, what if every civil service was was populated by artists and the the actual thing was about like doing civic engagement in a way that helped to beautify or improve a city right like that's that that was my my mind almost my mind was blown i was like oh my god like like raking your story about raking leaves right it's like yeah, when I when I shovel my neighbor's um, sidewalk, like I'm not doing a performance art, but I'm doing something that models care for him, right? And yeah, and that is yeah. I think that really we're modeling. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No. That's a perfect word, like the idea of modeling. And I think we think about the word performance, and we think theater, theatrics, right? Like something that's false. But we perform our duty in our job every day. We perform all sorts of things every day. And it's just, again, it's coming back to that word practice. It's just a practice. So I love the practice of being a neighbor. And I do find that it really overlaps with my practice of being an artist. And um, we model we model things every day. And that's like a very like educator word, right? Like yeah. we're modeling the things that we want other people to be. and the the way that we want to see the world the way that we want to be in the world um and and i also think that like um it's funny because it relates back to some of my earlier work because i often was doing things that were very naive and very like like (laughs) maybe like too girl scouty (laughs) um uh but but I really think that there's value in that. I guess I, I as naive and as like um, maybe simple as that sounds, I think that there's a lot of value in just modeling something simple like um, weeding the garden at the end of my block, like the public space at the end of my block. And, um, but there's also something so like deeply, um, I, I don't know, there's, 
there's a lot of other feelings that go along with it that are maybe difficult to explain in like 10 more minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I think like the act of being a neighbor or to create something for people in a neighborhood or, and I guess maybe this brings us to New Line is um, like New Line was a space um, that grew out of um, another round of public input sessions um, with neighbors to understand after that first five-year plan had lapsed from 2011, um, what the next five years were going to look like for the neighborhood. And a lot of the feedback, I was lucky enough to be a part of a committee um, of people that were gathering this input and turning it into this quality of life plan. Um, and we, I noticed that a lot of the input was around like desire for more social spaces and opportunities and, um, a lot of interest in family activities and um, educational opportunities. And a lot of the ideas, like specific ideas that people were having all required some sort of space. And I've always, I mean, I've always been interested in public space as an artist and how to create like viable public spaces or investigate public space. And so I, um, around the same, like shortly after that project, um, concluded or that like input session concluded and the plan was written and published. Um, one of the coffee shops in our neighborhood closed because of the pandemic. And so there was this opportunity that seemed really obvious um, to use that space as a platform for the neighborhood. And um, it's right next door to a school, Escuela Verde, a high school, a wonderful high school. And um, they have also always valued the public facing part of their, their students' experience. Um, and so they were on board for using the coffee shop and turning it into a training program for their students to learn entrepreneurial skills. Um, and then as well as like creating this community space or like giving me the opportunity to, to create this um, community space and in, like incorporated within the coffee shop. So we now get to run this kind of interesting platform, this ongoing um, experimental platform um, and community space, which has been such um, a wonderful and unique experience, just so um, unpredictable and exciting. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Like that's kind of the last, um, the push that I'm in right now of like trying to make public things happen. That's so and awesome. it's fun to be able to do that big of a project, like to do something on that scale in the community that I live. Um, but it is funny. I mean, like it's, we are so in our own little zones that like even some of my neighbors that are like, uh, like on the other side of national, like don't know about it. You know, like we, like, I don't know, we like our lives are so like little bubbles. Um, so it's interesting. It's just been an interesting experiment to like, have this engagement on this in this different part of my neighborhood. <laughs> mm -hmm. Sarah, do you mind sharing an example of one of the programs that you've run at New Line? I guess one of the, I feel like one of the most successful experiences that we've created is because I see the space as an opportunity to partner and bring in people from all around the city or other neighbors. So a lot of my focus when we first opened was bringing in neighbors to teach workshops or classes that were like kind of highlighting something that they cared about and being able to share that with other neighbors. And um, Lydia, one of our lovely neighbors and who also works with Bia came in and did an open sewing night. And so we had a bunch of sewing machines and she taught people how to use the machines and then how to make 
um, a few simple projects. And it was really cool because she's bilingual. So she was able to teach people in both languages. Um, and it was just this really great fluid experience um, where she, she loves to sew and she's interested in fashion design and was able to share some of those passions and skills with other people who are curious about them. And so that's kind of like a perfect, like little mini example of like how I want that space to function is I want it to just be this catalyst for people to share their knowledge with others. One of the broader projects that we did was with Wolf Studios, with Wanye at Wolf Studios, and he helped us coordinate. So he, you know, kind of like two administrators being able to like collaborate to create a bigger event. And so he was able to bring in a poet to teach like four workshops, basically, on po writing poetry. And then that experience built into an open mic night where mm -hmm. we invited a few artists. Like there are a few artists who are like, um, paid to come and participate and then other people could just share their poetry um, within mm -hmm. the platform so it's a fun this, yeah oh, go ahead oh I'm sorry yes. I was just going to ask um, so the projects are in general open to the whole community not just the students yeah and so that's something I think we're still really working on making sure that people know is that it's open to the whole neighborhood like all of our events are always free they're always open to anyone. Some are geared towards students, but often they're like kind of more open-ended experiences where they really could be participated, you know, or people could participate at any age. Just, I think, I think the exciting part is that it, it is an opportunity for people who don't think of themselves as teachers to think of themselves as teachers. And also mm -hmm. for people who don't think of themselves as experts to become an expert. Um, but also it's a space where, um, because nobody is a teacher or an expert really, like we're all just kind of coming to share our own experience that there is this like opportunity for everybody to be like, oh yeah, but I know this and I know that. And like to kind of build off of each other, which I think is the glory of like a coffee house, right? Like it's this yeah. gathering place where you could talk to anybody from anywhere in the city and um, and you're gonna learn something new because you're meeting somebody from a different background or from a different place or who's there for a different purpose. Um, so kind of expanding on that, I, like the old idea of a coffee house being like a penny uni university, right. so. That's so cool. And I'm, um, I'm just sort of like, so sort of stuck on all of the, the the truth bombs you've dropped. Um, but unfortunately, we have to like, we, we have to sort of wind down our time. And I don't know if Elizabeth has shared with you. But as a as a as a perk of of, of being a uh, podcast guest, you have the last few minutes of the podcast to become our city's czar of arts and culture. And, and you've already kind of like shared a lot of potential policies and programs that that of your reign. But in the remaining time, if you have the ability you have the ability to, to to basically pass anything um but it only is in existence until the end of this show so you so you have to work quick um as our cities counties regions uh arts and cultures are zarina what is the first policy that you'd pass um okay so i love this question i've got a lot of policies <laughs> <laughs> a lot of work to do here um so i think three things come to mind like artists should be involved in every branch of government 
um, and should be doing like, and yeah, okay, we'll just leave it at that. Artists should be involved in every branch of government, local government and federal government. Um, all adults should be engaged in ongoing education or like, what is it called when you have adult education? Continuing education. Every adult should be engaged in continuing education. Um, all students should be taught conceptual art. Like, I don't know how to do that. I've been trying to figure out how to do that and I still don't quite know, um, but they should. <laughs> and then maybe, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how to explain this last thought, but maybe like uh, there should be more opportunities for people to just like engage in quiet time or like the more expectation for people to, oh, I remember what it was. Everyone should have to try to be a teacher. Like everyone should have to try to teach something that they care about um, to other people, like, and feel what it is to share that with someone else and how challenging that is, but also how rewarding that is. Um, and it doesn't have to look like school, right? <laughs> it, teaching doesn't necessarily mean in a classroom standing in front of people. It's just, it's an experience. It's like a shared experience with someone else. So those are my four, my four policies. That's my platform <laughs> as arts are. That, I'm voting that is for a, you. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a good platform. I, I think we, we can certainly join you in, in, despite the fact that your reign is over, I think we can join you in, in figuring out how, how we move those things forward because it was a glorious reign. And I think the, the, um, the, we were talking, the listeners don't know this, but we were talking before we, we started recording about the fact that you had, um, you had drawn one of our, you had done the visual note-taking one of our meetings uh, back in October before the, the pandemic. And I think one of the, the, one of your drawings actually hangs in our office. And, and I think there's the one about like arts, having more artists as administrators um, mm. sort of reminded me, right, of of of, um, um, of your first policy, which I think was the thing that you also drew. So so you your 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 policy platform has is deep, uh, deeply embedded <laughs> in our in our organization here. Yeah, you can say it ends here, but it doesn't end here. <laughs> no, it doesn't. That's right. <laughs> not, that, that platform is continuing with me and I will continue to push it into the world <laughs> beyond 11 o'clock. Yeah. So we, we will look, look forward to working with you to, to make this stuff happen and, and, and to join you in pushing it forward. Um, but in the meantime, cool. how can the listeners find you outside of well, at New Line Cafe? Um, so, well, always, almost always at New Line Cafe. Not almost always. I'm there in... Um, so join us for a program at New Line Cafe. Our June calendar um, will be out soon. Um, we've got a lot of really cool events coming up this month, including a drag queen story hour on June 25th and um, some cool art club experiences um, every Friday. Um, we, I, you can find me, I'm working on a public art project on Greenfield Avenue that will be hopefully rolling out this summer. Um, and I also write a newsletter um, at the Linden Sculpture Garden, and there's a second issue coming out soon. So um, check that out at the Linden. You'll find a copy there. Oh, and I'm going to be at Dog Days. So if you have a dog and you want to get your dog drawn, you want a dog portrait, um, I will be <laughs> hanging out at the Linden drawing dog portraits on one of the Dog Days. You can find another website. Thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us. This was such a pleasure and such a joy. And uh, thank you for letting me be the third wheel in this conversation between, <laughs> between you, and, you, you and Elizabeth.
I feel like we are a real tricycle. Like every <laughs> wheel is important. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you guys. This was a lot of fun. This is what I love about having you join. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of things I love about having you join our team. But one uh-huh. one of the things that I love about having you join our team is you 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 were the one who suggested that we talk to Sarah for the podcast, and she is so much fun, so incredible. Thank you so she much. She is amazing. Yeah, I'm so um, I'm so honored to to be a good friend of Sarah's and to get to witness her her journey and her trajectory. Um, she's a mover and shaker. She's yeah. always up to really incredible stuff. I, I'm after having after listening and sort of uh, being a part of the conversation. I'm convinced that that our world would be much better if we had more folks like her, just in our, in our world, right in our city, mm. in our in our world. I mean, I think there's something about, and I just want to underscore this very very clearly, right? Like that. I, I I don't take. I, I hope that the people who listen to the podcast don't take this idea of doing performance civil service or performance neighborhood performance as sort of inauthentic. I think there's something mm-hmm. that's so beautiful about, I mean, she said it herself, right? I mean, you perform your roles, whether at work, mm-hmm. whether at home, there's no reason why we ought not be performing acts of love for our neighbors and, and mm-hmm. our neighborhood, right? And I think there's something that um, in some ways that almost transcends being an artist, right? It sort of becomes you're yes. just a a good person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is the line between yeah. artist and good person? I don't know. We're gonna continue to try to find out on <laughs> on this podcast and in our work here at Imagine MKE. Love that charge. Thanks so much for listening, y'all. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review, or contact us directly at pod at imaginemke.org. Imagine This Podcast is a team effort produced, edited, and hosted by David Lee, Lindsay Sheridan, with support from me, Elizabeth Gasparka. Our theme music was written and produced by Bobby Drake. To catch all the latest from Imagine MKE, hit us up at Twitter and Instagram at Imagine underscore MKE or Facebook at Imagine MKE or sign up for our amplifier on our website, a incredible newsletter put together by Lindsay and Elizabeth, despite the fact that it's sent from my email address. Um, thanks again, and we will catch you next Tuesday when journalist, critic, and filmmaker Mary Louise Schumacher joins us on the podcast. See you next week. See ya.